You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Today's reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places of Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Jordan Rivera, and I am one of two ministry residents here at Christ Church, and it is an honor for me to be part of the series on the book of Ephesians. And before we start, I have to announce that kids from Torch and also from elementary, they uh, can go now. Yes. Righty. So for the rest of us, we are going to be studying chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 10. And before I start, before we dive in, I wanted to make sure that we can quickly have a review of the last two sermons that we have been hearing. Two weeks ago, Nathan shared with us that the book of Ephesians, the point of the book of Ephesians is that we may see the reality that God is bringing all things into unity in Christ. So that means that time, history, also peoples, the space, heaven and earth, God is bringing all things into unity with Christ. And last week, Aaron shared with us Paul's prayer that the church may see, that they may increasingly know and see this reality, that God's, God's hope, inheritance, and power for them is in the exalted Christ, their head. And this is very important because we're talking about worldview. We're talking of a way to see reality. And this is very important. That shapes the way that we see today. That shapes our hopes. That shapes our decisions. I remember when COVID-19 started two and some years ago, um, I felt like the world was ending. I felt like the Antichrist was at work. Jesus was coming next week. And you may think that I am exaggerating just a little bit, but the thing is that Debbie and I were engaged, and Debbie was in Mexico. I was here in New Mexico, and borders were closed. So the world was ending. The Antichrist was at work. Jesus had to come. I was ready to make a covenant of singleness. But thank God... My wife could, could fly over here and we got married. Worldview, worldview. The way that we see the world changes our hope, changes the way that we react, changes the way that we take decisions, not only for today, but also for the future. So, 
if God is bringing all things together into Christ, and if we are the ones being in Christ, in the exalted Christ, then this has huge implications for our lives today. So let's pray. Let's pray that we may see that as we were singing. Let's, let's pray that we may see the exalted Christ in us, in him. So let's take a minute uh, to pray. And I'm going to give you a couple seconds for you to pray in your heart there where you are in your, in your, in your sit. And I'm going to be praying in just a couple seconds. But I'm going to give you the chance for you to pray and say, God, I want to see you. So go ahead. Lord God, yes, we pray that we may see this reality. As Paul is praying for the Ephesians, that they may see the reality that Jesus has been exalted. He has been enthroned above all ruler and principalities and powers. And that we are in him. That we may see that power working in us today. And that that may change the way that we see reality. That that may change the way that we live for your glory. We ask for you to work today and for you to speak today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, the first section I, I've titled it, Death in the Former Bondage. So you were dead in the trespasses of sin, uh, sins which you once walked. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. And that is true of us too. This spiritual picture is showing the reality that is for the Ephesians and also for us. And this is not new for the New Testament. This condition of us being dead in front of God's eyes. Yes, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. But since when this consequence of sin is death? Actually, since the very beginning. If you remember, God told Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The consequence of sin is death since the very beginning. And death is a condition of all humankind. Uh, death means a separation of, from, of humankind from God. And not only that we are separated, but that we cannot reconcile our relationship with him unless God does something. Actually, if you remember in the story of Adam and Eve, God is the one who approaches Adam and Eve, and he is the one asking questions. He is the one who is pursuing to reestablish this relationship with, with, with them. But what, what are they doing? They are hiding. They are not wanting to talk to God. They are blaming to each other. They are not willing to admit their fault. They are not willing to ask for forgiveness. So this shows that since the beginning, even though God is the one approaching humankind, humankind will never answer as they should unless God does something to change that. Death means being separated from God, unable to have and restore this relationship with him. And that, that has brought terrible consequences. Separation from God has brought separation from people. Actually, thinking about the story of Adam and Eve, if you, as, as I said, they were blaming to each other. But just think about that conversation that they had, not only there in the garden, but they, when they were uh, taken out of the garden. I think we have good reasons to think that they kept on having this conversation of blaming to each other, of you should have done that, uh, you knew that, and I didn't, and it was your fault. 
maybe for years. Separation from God brings separation from people, but also brings separation from creation. Think again about Adam and Eve, the way that they were relating and the, the way that they were working with creation after they sinned against God. It was not the same way. Separation from God also brings separation from ourselves. That means that the intention of God, of us in our body and our souls to be together, sin breaks that. Actually, that's what we call dead. If someone is dead, we mean that body and soul has been separated. Separation from God brings separation from people, separation from creation, separation from ourselves, and we were dead. We were unable to have this relationship with God. Not only Adam and Eve, but all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We were death in our trespasses and sins, unable to restore our relationship with God, harming others, harming creation, harming ourselves. Verses 2 and 3 give us a better look on what does this entail. It says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we have the world, the prince of the power of the air, the passions of our flesh, we may be familiar with some of these concepts. Uh, following our passions, we kind of know what, what that is. Following the course of this world, we're kind of familiar with that. But I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure that we're not as familiar with the prince of the power of the air. But the Ephesians were very familiar with this. If you remember, they had the temple of Artemis, Diana, the goddess. Actually, they were known to be the cradle of sorcery. And this great tem temple for Diana was a huge incentive for this title. She was known to be the first among thrones, the queen of heaven in the city. Her temple was one of the seven wonders in the ancient world. To be an efficient, e to be an efficient <laughs> meant to be a worshiper of Diana. Actually, in the book of Acts, in chapter 19, we see some of this. A disturbance concerning Christianity arose in Ephesus, and people for two hours cried out at one voice, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. People very passionate for two hours saying out loud, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They were, for some reason, very devoted to her. Early in the chapter, we read that many believers came confessing their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, one piece of silver is estimated to be worth $7.50 according to Logos software. And $7.50 with inflation is not a lot. But back then, this was a lot. Why? because this was a, a day of work. Someone would be paid uh, with a piece of silver for the day of work. So we are talking about 5,000 days of work worth of books of sorcery. This shows how much people were into magic, into sorcery, into divination. Magic and the spiritualism were widespread in Ephesus. Spells in the books would guarantee that you would have security, that you would have children if you didn't, and that you would have success in love and businesses. 
then to follow your desires, to follow uh, the love that you're looking, to follow the power and the money that you're looking for, meant to work with the rulers and principalities. To look for what you want meant to go and ask to Diana the goddess. These concepts are very, un very unfamiliar to us as Westerners. We are more pragmatic in the way that we see reality. The kingdom of the air, principalities, dominions, the spiritual forces. We may think that this is not real in our world, but in Paul's worldview, this is very real. Actually, he says that the desires of the flesh and the kingdom of the prince of the air are going kind of in the same direction and somehow they are working in harmony. What is this direction that they are going? They are going against the design of God. They are against the kingdom of God and his desires and his design. And what is his design? That we may have a relationship with him and that we may have good relationships with others, that we may wisely govern of creation and that we may live forever. So every time that we work against God's plan to have a good relationship with him, good relationship with others, to take care of creation and ourselves, we are working against God and we are working with the prince of this age. All that we do as human beings to follow this pattern of going against God's will when we bring harm to other people, when we bring harm to creation, when we bring harm to ourselves, we are working in harmony with the ruler of the prince of the air. We're working with Satan and the devil. Actually, Paul says in chapter 6, he says the following, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Listen to this. And give no opportunity to the devil. In Paul's worldview, he sees sinning against your brother and giving an opportunity to the devil in the same categories. Don't let the modernity of our society fool you. We may not have temples nor altars. We are more sophisticated than that. But if you think about it, we don't need to take an airplane to the middle of the jungle to witness the sacrifice of children to the prince of this world, to the god of convenience to the God of self. Sadly, in a couple minutes drive, we can witness this. Our society is following the prince of the air. The God of sex has taken control all over the internet, all over our phones. The God of money has captivated our society. Just think about your coworkers and your friends. Why are they working for? The God of power and success has seduced our political structures. Now think about the gods of convenience, the God of security, the God of pleasure, pleasure, the God of materialism. Not only the world, but oftentimes we sacrifice our time and we sacrifice our money and we sacrifice our families to worship these gods, to please them so that we can get what we want. The prince of the power of the air is at work. But, but since we are so involved in our passions and desires, we don't get to see them working. Since we are going in the same direction that the power of the air is going, we don't get to notice that we are under his rulership. I hope that you can see that Paul's view of the reality is still 
the same view of the reality for us today. We're going to talk about the solution in a minute, but for right now, I want to talk about the last sentence of verse 3 that says that we were by nature children of wrath. Maybe this is another concept that we're not familiar with. Why wrath? Who's wrath? Maybe we're not familiar, but Paul is very familiar with this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. In the same book of Ephesians, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. The same phrasing of sons of disobedient. Paul says in chapter 5 that God's wrath comes against them. But why? Why children of wrath? Why wrath? Why wrath from, from God? I think that we oftentimes think of God as a policeman. And I, I mean by that that, you know, the police, are, policemen are, are kind of hidden at one side of the road, and, and they are kind of trucking your speed limit, and they know you're going to go over the speed limit. Of course, that's why they're there. They're strategically in the right place to catch you. So they're waiting for the right moment. Okay, they got it. They got you. So they are going behind you. They pull you over. They give you a tick, and then they go back to the same place to catch you again. Okay, God is not a policeman. He's not, he's not hidden. He's not trying to, not that he knows that you're going to fail. He's just right there wanting you to fail so that he can give you a ticket. You see, the policeman is trying to make sure that you're following a law. The policeman is not the law. The, police, the police's job is to make sure that you're following the law. You see, with God, that doesn't work because there's no law outside of God that he's like, I want to make sure that they follow that law. No, no, no. He is the very standard of goodness. He is the very standard of what is good and evil. Therefore, every time that we sin, we don't break a law somewhere in the cosmos. No, no, no. We are offending God. We're going against God, against his nature, against his character. And that's why wrath of God. Because we have been offending God since the very beginning. We have been offending God since the day that we have been born. Going with our passions, going with the prince of the air, going with the flow of this world. We're just accumulating wrath for us. But now we get to verse 4. Can we read the first two words? Just the first two words together. Ready? One, two, three. But God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the earth. But God. Can you read it? Ready? But God being reached in mercy because of the great love. So here's where last week's text merges with today's text. Paul prays that the Ephesians may understand the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. But why would Paul pray for such thing that is hard to pronunciate for me? Why, why would he pray for something like that? 
It seems like the same power that raised Christ, this is chapter 1, verse 20, the power that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. That same power had worked in us and had made us alive in Christ. It had brought us with Christ to the heavenly places to sit with him. That's why Paul is praying for this. Because the same power that worked in God worked in us, making us alive in him. So therefore, there are huge implications for our lives today. If this is true, if this is true, there are huge implications for our lives today. St. Augustine developed a helpful language to have some categories that I think would help us. Um, he talks about four stages of the nature of men. So one being the nature of humankind before the fall. The second one is the nature of humankind in the fall. The third one is the nature of humankind when they are reborn, when they are in Christ. And the fourth one is when Jesus comes and he glorifies our bodies. What is the nature of humankind in, in that category? So the first one, before the fall, humans, Adam and Eve, were able to sin and able to not sin. They were able to sin, but also they were able to not sin. They could choose. But they chose wrongly. And now we are able to sin and unable to not sin. We don't have no option. We live in our trespasses and sins. We, were, we are able to sin and unable to not sin. But when we are in Christ, we are able to sin and able to not sin. In Christ, we are able to sin, yes, but at the same time, we are able to not sin. And finally, when Jesus comes again, we will not only able to not sin, but listen to this, we will, we will be unable to sin. We won't be capable of sinning when he consummates his kingdom. Why am I telling you this? It seems like Paul has in his mind some category that will be accomplished in the future. Actually, he says, so that God may show in the coming ages his grace. So yes, coming ages, because there's an age to come. Jesus talked about that age to come, and that age to come is when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom. But Paul doesn't seem to, to just communicate that this is only a future event. Actually, in the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter of the Bible, in the last narrative section of the Bible, we read something like this. They will, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light. And listen to this. And they will reign forever and ever. So that's how the story of the Bible ends. Us reigning with God forever. Who, is, who, who are they? Well, if we read the text and we study the text, we see that that text talks about us, us who believe, the ones who are in Christ. We will reign with God forever. So yes, it will happen. But it seems like Paul is saying that, in a sense, that already happened. Remember this language of already, but not yet. Nathan, Aaron, 
they shared with us and is in this text again. Already, but not yet. So what has happened already? I think what Paul understands is that what has happened already is the invitation and the ability that God has given, is given to us today to reign with Christ now forever. What does that mean? Don't let this word to reign with him confuse you. Remember, God wanted Adam and Eve to reign with him over all creation. Remember, they rejected him and his invitation, and therefore, there were consequences on relationship with other, relationship with creation, relationship in, in themselves. I think God is inviting us to rule with Christ in the way that Jesus ruled when he was here on earth. And how was that? He was reconciling people. He was ruling well over creation. And he promised that he will raise us, raise us up when we die. So there is hope that today we can say no to the power of the prince of the air because we are no longer in his reign. We are in the kingdom of Jesus. We can now choose to say no to the course of this world because we know where this world is heading. And Jesus is renewing all things and he's bringing all things together into Christ. No, we can now say no to our desires. Why? Because God changes our desires so that we may desire what he desires. Already, we can choose already to be in the reign on Christ and reign with him now and forever. We can now enjoy the presence of God and let that change, change us so that we can treat people with dignity, so that we can treat people with love and compassion and respect as images of God. Yes, the consequence of sin were great, but the restoration of Jesus Christ is greater. Great implications for us today. And I think we can see that more in our last section. Verses 8 to, nine, to 10. I'll let you read. For by grace you have been saved. Yes, after all we have read, this comes like a clear conclu conclusion. We were actively against God and his kingdom, accumulating wrath against us, and yet God saved us. Yes, we can clearly see that salvation is by grace. And Paul has told us this before in chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. He says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before we can even do something. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, and he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Paul wants us to see clearly that this is not our doing, that God has, has done this, and he had planned before the foundation of the earth. We have not received salvation by our works, but despite our works. For by grace you have been saved through faith. All this, salvation through faith, salvation by grace through faith, all this, a gift 
from God, a gift from God to enemies. This is not the type of gift that you give. Or in this concept, the idea of a gift is not the gift like a birthday present gift to your friend. No, no. This is more like the best present ever to your worst enemy ever after he offended you for the 50th time in one hour. This is a gift from God to enemies that were offended, offending him. Sons of wrath, enemies of God. Salvation by grace through faith is a gift from God to his enemies. This is so humbling to us because the only works that we added were sinful. We added nothing but sin. And not only because of that, because when we can bring good works, when we can walk in good works, it turns out that they are not ours. It's, they are his. Did you, did you re read that? So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, beforehand that we should walk in them. Even the works, the good works that we can walk in are not ours. Salvation from the very beginning to the very end. Salvation from Christ. Therefore, all the glory to God, so that we may not boast, so that he may receive all the glory. It's about him. It's about Jesus. He is the one who gives us the good works to walk in. Jesus is the source of salvation and also the source of good works. Now, here's where we're landing. So hold on tight to your seatbelts. I don't want to assume that most people here or, or that all people here are Christians. If the Holy Spirit is working in you, and today you are seeing that your desires were aligned with the desires, are aligned with the desires of this world, to the prince of this earth. If you can see that you, have, you are death and your trespasses and sins, and you are separated from God, and you understand that you cannot reconcile with God unless He does something, if you realize that you are able to sin and unable to not sin unless God does something. Today, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, what he has done in his good works, you can be called a son of God. We'll pray in a minute and you can pray in your heart. You can ask God for forgiveness and be sure that in faith, that in him there is Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins according to the riches of his grace that he can lavish on you. And if you are a Christian, God has seated with Jesus Christ above this world, above our desires, above the air, above the principalities, above the, the dominions. We can now walk in his good works. We don't have to walk according to the course of this world. We don't have to follow the prince of this air. We can follow the kingdom of Jesus. We can. We can follow his desires, his passions, his, his will. 
And as it was so natural for us to follow the course of this world and the reign of the prince of this air, as it was so natural, it is gonna be so natural, it can be so natural for us to follow the desires of our Lord Jesus Christ because he changes our nature. We're new creations in him, verse 10. Yes, sin separated us from God and separated us from people and creation and ourselves, but God is bringing all things into unity in him. You can now reconcile with those that you have sinned against. You can now reconcile with those that have sinned against you. You can now work for the glory of God. You can now have hope for after you die. So let us pray that we may understand that. Let us pray that we may see that. So when mon Monday morning comes and you're waking up and you're hating your boss already because he's a jerk, you can treat him, you can get mad at him and follow your desires or you can treat him in love. You can be reminded that he has no other option, that he knows nothing, that he is unable to not sin. But you don't. You don't. He follows his desires. You don't have to. You can be reminded that you, are, you have been seated with Jesus Christ and you can have his desires. So when tonight comes and your children manifest being sons of disobedience, you can go along with the prince of the power of the air and show them that you rule in your house by pour, pouring wrath of punishment with him, with them. Or you can remember that you, ha you have been seated with Christ, and that you can pour love of discipline to them. When you, have when you have free time and you're debating if you should watch the fifth movie of the week or pray, you can go along with the desires of the flesh, or you can be reminded that God has changed you and that he has given you new desires so that you can desire him, so that you can see that reading the Bible and praying is not hard work, but it's actually resting. God can give you new eyes to see your reality for how he sees your reality. Let's remember, this worldview shapes the way that we see our reality today. Let, let's, let, let's, let's have these truths and, and let's have them so that we, they can shape the way that we see our reality today. That Christ resurrected from the dead and was exalted above all principalities and dominions and that we were also resurrected with him. Therefore, we no longer are in bond to our flesh, no longer in bond to the prince of this era, no more bond to, to this the course of this world, but now we are in the reign of Jesus and we can walk in the good works that he has prepared for us. Let us pray that that may be true of us today. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Lord God, we wanna be reminded that this is true. Sometimes it can be so foreign for us to see Jesus Christ exalted. Let us remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you, in your mercy, in your love, you have resurrected us in Christ so that we may no longer live for us, so that we may no longer live for our passions and desires, but so that we may live for you and your glory. Move our hearts and our minds. Transform our hearts and our lives 
in the power of Jesus, understanding that there's not only salvation in him, but there's also good works that we can get from him to walk in them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com. Thank you.